brought you some warm water to soak your hands and feet. It should help with the frostbite. Lucy's studying to be a nurse. Duncan and both come correct. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Duncan and Bo Get Terrified, uh, which is uh, Duncan and Bo Come Correct in this iteration. We are looking at uh, the AMC television series, The Terror Infamy, the second season of uh, The Terror. Um, This will be episodes three and four of uh of the terror infamy but before we get into that duncan uh-huh. what we like to do here on this show is we like to talk about something that we've been watching good and bad uh just that you know like hey viewers come for the infamy talk but <laughs> but we're giving them a little something extra a little like hey you know what after you have a good time with infamy uh how about you you check some of these out or or uh in in two cases don't uh so <laughs> this is true we do that we, we we tell you things to avoid as well sometimes yeah yeah that that's accurate so duncan uh which i i normally go first because you're never prepared yes uh that has not changed this week <laughs> fantastic so i'll give you the one that i didn't like and it's mm-hmm. one that uh, it, it kind of I I don't know that it's ever really talked about that much because it's kind of a shitty movie. Oh, but it's Bride of Reanimator. Do you know I has been it's been easily fifteen years since I saw Bride of Reanimator, and I bought the collector's edition because I was like, you know what, I'm going to watch this movie, and we will find out if I actually like it because I can't remember much about it at all. And the cellophane is still on it, both. So, um, are you telling me it's not a good film? It's really not, and <laughs> it's <laughs> it's really unfortunate because you know Jeffrey Combs is a national treasure. Um, it's Brian Yuzna that directed it as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's I do like, like me some Yuzna. At times, you know, he he can be kind of hit and miss. It's it's not a Stuart Gordon kind of thing where like even the bad movies are interesting. Mm. Um, Brian Yuzna has done some stinkers, and yeah, just, what he does really well is like body horror, <laughs> like anything that anything that you know. If you're sitting there thinking. I want to watch something on screen that will make me uncomfortable in my own skin. Brian Yuzna usually has your back, Bo. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I think that's probably true. But the the problem that you have with the uh, uh, the Bride of Reanimator is that the first movie is just so good. Yeah. 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 And this movie is, I would argue, kind of below average regardless of the movie that preceded it. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to like, it, the story is just not very inspired. It, there are times it just feels like a retread of the original, but just nowhere near as good. But kind of the best thing about it is some of the makeup work is fun. Uh-huh. Uh, but even like there are a couple of, uh, moments where they're clearly trying to capture some of that original reanimator magic and have Jeffrey Combs be a little sardonic, but it just lands with a thud most of the time where it's like, oh, I see what you're doing, and it didn't work. Mm. And 
yeah, it's just a like it's a disappointment all around. And it ends very abruptly in a way that's real unsatisfying, too, where you're just like, <laughs> what, what the fuck? That was it? Uh, all right. And I would say it's better than Beyond Reanimator. But I don't think I've ever seen that one. It's real cheap. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Brighter Reanimator, uh, a, a real bummer. Yeah, skip Brady Reanimator. If you want the real Brady Reanimator, watch Frankenhooker. Honestly, yeah, Frankenhooker yeah. is a a far superior film to Bride of Reanimator. Yep. Um, <laughs> what about you? Have you seen something that's been, say, less than thrilling? Yeah, um, I've been once again doing the old uh, eighty-eight films Italian collection as I do for my show, and uh, I checked out a little movie called Amazonia: The Catherine Miles Story. This is basically kind of post Cannibal Ferox. The Cannibal subgenre had taken a bit of a hit. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you know this. Some of their movies were banned. Um, some of their directors were brought up on charges of obscenity mm-hmm. in Italy and faced jail time. So that, that genre kind of died off a little bit, Bob. And then in 1985, someone decided, you know what? I'm going to bring it back. I am going to bring this back. And I'm going to have the, the balls to kind of have this movie called, in some territories, um, Cannibal Holocaust 2. Sure. Never a good never a good sign. Um and like all the blurb as usual from the company is, you know, this is a must have for fans of the genre and all the rest. The usual shit. I'm gonna buy it anyway because it's numbered and my collection is numbered and I need to make sure all those numbers are in there. That's how they get me both. And yeah, the Catherine Miles story, aka Amazonia, aka Cannibal Holocaust 2, is uh, I mean, it's basically romance in the stone with some cannibals in the background. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, look, I'm that does not immediately turn me off. Yeah, but the problem is, like, see, when you think of romance in the stone, you think of the the humor, the fun, all the rest. Just strip all that out. It's just the setting. The amazing theme song. No, you don't by have Eddie that. Grant. <laughs> the theme song to um, Amazonia is like a shite version of the amazing Ritz Ortolioni soundtrack from Cannibal Holocaust. It's just like, it, it brings nothing new to the table at all. It's clearly made by a older, shall we say, slightly pervier Italian director because there is, as soon as our main character is with the cannibals, she's naked for the rest of the movie. And we'll be tied to her ever having a stitch of clothing on it kind of follows the beats of Cannibal Holocaust without actually giving you the substance. So this movie is like a really, really tame, tame, tame movie. There's nothing really in here, like, at all, which would merit any sort of shock or... It just, And it's paint by numbers. It's very... I don't know if you've ever seen The Man from Deep River, which is, like, credited as the first uh, Cannibal movie. It was directed by Umberto Lenzi. And um, it kind of is like that, but even less interesting. And even the animal violence in this movie is basically stock footage of like a leopard eating animals in the jungle. They're just <laughs> interspliced wildlife footage. Just in there. Look, remember, there used to be animal bits in these movies that were cringy. Um, yeah, shit. And then the ending, <laughs> is, the ending is just 
fucking horrific. Like, um, I th- I'm, I'm going to spoil this movie here. Basically, this woman, um, she decides to leave her, her house and her apartment in New York and travel with her dad to the Amazon for her 18th birthday, as you do, mm-hmm. and goes out on safari uh, or whatever it's called when you're in the Amazon. And um, her parents are murdered in front of her, and then she's kidnapped by this tribe. And all the way through it, she hates the tribesmen that killed her parents, but then kind of falls in love with them after being unceremoniously raped and deflowered by the ugliest man on the planet. Um, but then she kind of falls for this guy. And then her tribe's wiped out, so she and this guy, who she hated but now loves, uh, travel up the river to her parents' like holiday home and find her uncle or aunt there. And the big reveal is that the uncle and aunt set up the mother and father to be killed by the tradespeople, maybe. Um, and all this is told through a court appearance that she's like she's retelling her story whilst being, you know, um, up for murdering her uncle and her aunt, but she does. Um, but she's explaining her story. But the courtroom she's in is just basically um, it's just an ordinary room. <laughs> so they couldn't have a budget for it or anything. Um, and she's telling that, and then the movie has the balls at the end to have her back in New York with her child, which might be the child of this Amazonian man that killed her parents. And as she looks off into the the lake, both she gets all misty-eyed and cries as she remembers her lost love. Sure. And I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch? I mean, what the fuck did it is like three movies, none of them good. None of them good. (laughs) (laughs) I like, you know, I... I do like a movie, though, that about a third of the way through is like, ah, this ain't working. How about we just become a buddy comedy now? Yeah, it's like, let's just make this a murder mystery, because like the burning question you had all the way through this movie was, was her parents set up? I never thought of that once. <laughs> I just thought, of course, tribes people murdered them. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's just really, really, really bad. And um, I just couldn't quite work out... Like I've, I've, we've talked about this before. If you're going to bring something back, or you're going to remake something, or try and reinvent the wheel, so to speak, you have to come at it from a fresh perspective, or bring something to the table that's not been done before. And this movie really doesn't. It's like paint by numbers, except all the paint's beige. Uh, it just really wasn't very good at all. So it is my bad. I would say avoid that movie. Avoid it now. Oh no! Well, uh, that sounds awfully disappointing, and, and but also expected from a movie like that. Like you know, when uh, sometimes you give me a little business about seeing like the Legend of Six Armed Mary or whatever. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and, and I'm like, you know, but sometimes you just roll the dice. Yeah, yeah, but I think there's a thing about, I've always said this, Italian cinema at its worst, even at its worst, usually has either incredible cinematography, because all the like DPs like working at that time were all fucking excellent, or it has an amazing score, because like you had people like Ennio Morricone, or Pino Danaggio, or Bruno Mattai, all on your doorstep. Um, you know, I mean, these uh, Bruno Nicolai, sorry, uh, were all on your doorstep, 
and they were just scoring every fucking movie. So even if the movie's shit, usually the cinematography and the score is enough to sit there and hang your hat on, but this just didn't have that. It had it was like no one involved with the project like was even remotely interested in making a somewhat interesting movie. Uh, and as a result, it just falls flat. I know where you're coming from when you want to watch The Legend of Seven-Tongued Andy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, part, like, part of you know is walking out of that, this is going to be bad because listen to the name of that fucking movie. Um, you know, you know on some level you're probably, if it's bad, it's going to be kind of slash good bad or something. When I sit down and watch an Italian movie, as a prerequisite, I know that it's not going to be a bad movie. It's just maybe not going to have an interesting story or something. This is the exception to the rule. I think this is the first one in a while. And a collection of movies, which I'm up to number 42 at the moment, which is just not a good movie. Like, the, the, like I would say maybe three out of 42 that I've watched is just not a good movie. And that ratio just allows you to fall into this kind of false sense of security that even if the movie isn't something that interests me or a subgenre that doesn't interest me, you know, there's going to be something that I'm going to be able to hang my hat on, something that's going to hook me in, and this just didn't have anything at all. It was, I, I was actually surprised at how, how uninteresting the movie is considering it's taboo subject matter. Just not worth it, not worth it. I'll swing it at my good because I'll, I'll preempt while I'm on a roll here uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of finish off with you. Uh, a movie that I revisited also for podcasts under the stairs um, because I was like, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna watch this movie and it's been a few years and for some reason I don't feel enough people talk about it and I think it's because a lot of people don't think it's necessarily horror or although I do um, and by the end of it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of like an, an un, unspoken masterpiece. I don't think people speak about it enough. And that is American Psycho. No, that all right. Movie, that movie is, I mean, even now, what, 20 years since it came out? That movie not only holds up, but is surprisingly fucking good, considering it's adapted from a source material which should... Like that, that source material could probably never be made in that movie, but it's and not only that, it's directed by a woman. Um, the screenplay and adaptation is done by a woman, um, based on a, a novel which in itself was considered incredibly, um, incredibly not only nasty to women but just in general, uh, homophobic, racist. You know, the list goes on and on. But not only did he manage to deliver amazing performances, great set pieces, um, and you know just like like really good practical effects in that movie, but ninety percent of the dialogue in that movie is directly from the book. So I can't think of many movies that have ever done that and still managed to maintain, you know, staying so close to the book whilst like changing huge sections of the book. Um, away from from its matter, but I just I think I don't know what I I, I was trying to hypothesize why why it may be that we as horror fans don't speak about it enough. I think it's people think it's a dark comedy and don't understand that that is. I mean that it follows beats like there are whole set pieces and beats directly from horror movies. There is a reason that you know 
Patrick Bateman as a character is playing on loop horror movies in the background, then chasing characters down hallways with chainsaws. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, he's obsessed with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So stuff like that. But when it finished, I thought, I thought to myself, you know, this is a movie that I I genuinely can't think of any one thing about the movie that is, is done just, in an average way, I think it fires on all cylinders, uh, right across the board. And uh, yeah, I think it's absolutely incredible. Powerhouse performances, um, right, you know, just just straight across the board. Everyone is is reprehensible. <laughs> yeah, Christian Bale gained twelve pounds of psychopathy. <laughs> He's so good in the movie. He's, uh... He's so so good. See this, like we, we talk about. I laugh about it quite a lot. Me and some of my friends will will do the, you know, if if you've like left a brochure to like, um, I don't know, an upcoming attraction at the cinema or something like that, and you you hand it over to someone out. You know, I'll, I'll do the thing where I grab it and I'll let it drop. And I'll go, oh my god, it's even got a watermark. You know, like all like lines directly from the movie that just stay with you. Um, but he's like just fucking incredible. He looks. At times, incredibly cocky, confident, but the scenes where like the panic washes over him, the waves of panic, he looks like he's going through it. Like I mean, I, I, Duncan, you know, Duncan is getting excited because an actor's acting, but it, I I believe his performance from beginning to end. Even though I know at the end of that movie, uh, he un he undoes essentially if you've not read the book uh, he undoes everything that has happened preceding in the movie it's incredible I think it's I think it's fucking amazing and I am very excited to see when we do the summer teapots top 10 series next year and I put that on the list for 2000 how many people want to argue that it's not a horror movie because I think there'll be a few I wouldn't argue that. I need to watch it again. I remember I, I saw it when it came out, and I didn't really care for it. Oh, you need to go back. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it again. Yep, you need to go back. It's so it's so fucking good. I was actually blown away. I was like, I was like, I, I, I finished. I was just like, this is, yeah, yeah. And I, I still because I, I went through the book earlier this year. And it wasn't until I was watching him. Have you ever read the book? No, 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 no. No, the book is like, do not read that book if you're planning on eating or wanting to have an intimate conversation with anyone afterwards. <laughs> it is a, like that book it is banal in huge sections and then maybe the most depraved thing you've ever read in other sections. And there are chapters that highlight his lunacy in a way which... I've never seen anyone write about psychosis. Like, there's two specific scenes, I well, two specific things I love about the book. One of them, to kind of underline his descent into madness, uh, is a chapter, I'm sure it's called, like, The Park Bench, and it's where he documents uh, his escapades of about six hours where he's convinced he's been followed by a park bench. Like, just his bench is following him about New York. Just just about Manhattan. And the other one is um, a scene where he is in the Hamptons, his summer home or whatever, uh, and the scene sets over about midnight when he's out on the beach naked trying to stuff sand and live crabs in his mouth. It's just like the way it's written. Um, 
And I'm not the biggest Brett Easton Ellis fan, if I'm, if I'm honest. I, I kind of really like his first three novels and, and not much else. You know, I like Less Than Zero, Rules of Attraction, and, well, the ones that have been adapted, essentially, in the movies, and uh, American Psycho. But I wasn't a big fan of Lunar Park, uh, or that one he brought out a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, I go, if you do go back and check it out, I would be interested to see if that movie has found its rhythm with you or not. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll give it a day in court before too awful long. That feels like something I should do, uh, maybe over the holidays or something. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, just to feel good about things. And uh, what about you? What's your good? I all right. I'm gonna instead of one big haymaker, I'm gonna give you a couple of little jabs here. Oh, nice. Uh, so, um, just last night, you know, do the movie nights, and we've been doing Mel Brooks movies. And <laughs> awesome. For the first time in probably, I don't know, seven, eight years, I watched Blazing Saddles last night. Oh, so I can't watch that. I have to switch that movie off about three times because I'm sure I will piss myself with laughter. That movie is freaking hilarious. Man, here's what a child I am. (laughs) I laughed to the point of tears at that yeah. farting scene the farting scene is maybe the most inappropriate best thing that's ever happened to cinema it's it is ridiculous and the way that slim pickens comes out of that tent waving <laughs> his hat <laughs> and somebody offers him beans and he's <laughs> he says no nah, i think you boys have had about enough fucking the best man blazing sounds like from front to back is an incredibly funny movie because it will do anything for a laugh yeah and like you'll forget how ridiculous like there's the whole scene with harvey corman wanting his frog pool a uh, bath toy and uh all the gags of him hitting his head there's a fucking medieval medieval uh uh hangman that it like has the full on like leather Birkins and shit and mm-hmm. a limp and a hump and everything. It's just like this movie will do it. It preceded airplane in that, yeah. that sense of like, we're throwing every joke possible around this premise at, at the screen and we'll see what sticks and not every joke is going to land. But when they do, holy shit. Uh, you know, like Mongo punching out that horse. I can watch that <laughs> just about any time. Um, but anyway, so I watched Blazing Saddles again. It was wonderful. And if uh, listeners, if you have not seen Blazing Saddles in some time, I encourage you to watch it again uh, because it's incredible. Uh, it is better than you remember. And it, it has me wanting to say, Alfuita Zane, baby. Um, <laughs> way more than I should. Uh, so, but here's the other, uh, little, little jab mentioned it last week and, and boy, that Mandalorian still manages to be really good. I hear that. I hear that. And I'll tell you, here's the sneaky trick of the Mandalorian, sir. Uh, it turns out that it's just lone wolf and cub. This is what I also heard, which made me very happy because it's, it's like I'm only six months removed from going through that entire Criterion collection, so man, it and that's what it is. It like we'll see how gnarly it gets in the way that like Lone Wolf and Cub can be pretty brutal. Uh, this has some moments for sure, but 
it it is a hundred percent that, and I I couldn't be happier <laughs> that that's the case. <laughs> it's that man. I you know I mentioned this uh, again last week, but um, it is the most excited I've been about watching anything Star Wars related since before the prequels. You know, yeah, it's it's so much fun. It is it. It feels so much like Star Wars while still doing new stuff, and uh, I, I like it. I, I said a, a ton about it last week. I won't repeat all that, but boy, I just I, I'm excited. It feels like I'm a kid again, Duncan. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> finally to about uh, a Star Wars property, and that makes me happy. I'm glad that I can I can l- look at you virtually speaking and say, <laughs> you know what I'm enjoying Star Wars. That's nice. I, I thank you, John Favreau, for l- allowing me to do that again. Um, <laughs> I did. I did read his um, he had uh, some involvement with whatever the new direction of the next cinematic escapade within that universe will be. So it'll be interesting to see what they want to do with it. Um, and what direction they might take it. So, I mean, John Favreau has printed so much money for Disney, whether it's him directing Jungle Book or Lion King or fucking Iron Man, whatever. Like, he has had his hand, now that he's in the Star Wars universe, he's kind of had his fingers in the big three Disney properties. Yeah. And I mean, but he keeps hitting it out of the park for him. Like you may not like every movie he's done, but they have been wildly successful. Yeah. So I, I'm sure that they're like, Hey, you, you want to fuck around with some more star Wars stuff? And he's like, sure. Why not? I mean, if you're John Favreau, you've got the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. You know? Like yeah. if he wanted to dip back into Marvel, he could do that. If he was like, you know what, let me do a Star Wars movie and then I'm just going to go make Chef 2 or whatever. <laughs> and, and you're going to pay for it and it's not going to make you any money, but everything else I do will. And and that's, to me, that's the thing I'm excited about because I do, I, I've used it as a punchline, but I actually do like the movie Chef. I think John Favreau is actually a good director. I and thought it, it was a good movie as well. I saw it last year. And, and I think, you know, again, say what you will about the original Iron Man, that John Favreau, without John Favreau's Iron Man, there would not be the 50 Marvel movies that we have now. Mm-hmm. Like, that movie was so likable, and, you know, Robert Downey Jr. had a lot to do with that, but uh, a lot of it was John Favreau and, and making a good movie. And, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, enough sucking John Favreau's dick. It, it, this, <laughs> yeah. Th- that doesn't get sure us. There's enough people doing that, boys. <laughs> I'm sure, man. I, and, and I'm sure that the CEO of Disney is one of them. Um, <laughs> Let's get the mouse can get back up now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Do you want me to go around the world? <laughs> Jeez, John. <Hot> dog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh-huh. I like to be strangled. No <laughs> 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 innocent characters, nice ball. I like it. Uh, you know, I, I do what I can for the youth, uh, for the youths. Uh, the two youths. Yeah, but uh, moral of the story that the Mandalorian continues to be uh, kind of great, 
and the uh, I, I've been keeping up with that um, Jeff Goldblum uh, document documentary 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 Jesus Christ I just learned to speak today um, <laughs> no I've been keeping up with uh, the world according to Jeff Goldblum uh, the Nat Geo documentary series and it, again it is just an excuse to follow acclaimed weirdo Jeff Goldblum around and have him interact with like uh, the, this latest episode was about ice cream and it was just oh, him. Wow. yeah it's him talking to like Ben and Jerry and stuff and them hanging out eating ice cream and him just being like oh so tell me how did you come up with this flavor oh oh wow and it's, <laughs> it is a delight sir <laughs> i mean it 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 would it's like having a little Jeff Goldblum uh terrarium or something where you just get to check in and it's like hey let's check in and see what this weirdo's doing this week and it's just him doing his thing, and it's uh, it's wonderful. It, I it, they could break that up into just like fifteen minute segments that were completely unrelated. You don't even have to do a theme anymore. <laughs> just fifteen minutes of Jeff Goldblum doing whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, I will. Like I said before, with the even with the Mandalorian, I will have to wait until March is when it gets launched in the UK. So. Um, I will. I will catch it then, Bo. Yeah, and all. <laughs> like I, I feel like a total shill for Disney at the moment, but I, I got to tell you, I think that the deal that they've got with Hulu right now, where it's like you can bundle Hulu, that, and ESPN, which I don't. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see if that happens here because Hulu doesn't exist at all in the UK. Uh, so yeah, they've got it for like fifteen bucks for those three things here, and it's like that's not. That's not a crazy ask, and that I mean, if you're if you just kind of care about general entertainment, yeah, that I mean, unless there's just something you like about Netflix or Amazon Prime, that kind of covers your bases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, we spoke about this in the last episode. The you know the big streaming wars are coming, and the clever ones will be the ones that manage to package things up. So it's not just all their properties, but somehow managing to link in other. It's essentially replacing your your cable package or whatever by by grouping up sections of streaming together. It's a smart move to move forward with it, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Netflix handles things. Obviously, they are they, you know they're losing specific content to different suppliers that are now going their own way with things. But they, they are still putting out like really interesting things. I mean, we are what one week away from that new Martin Scorsese movie, which cost three hundred million. So that's getting incredible reviews, and it's three and a half hours long. And all of that is something I want to be a part of. So um, I'm very interested to see what the Irishman's like. And they are, you know, it hasn't phased them yet. But then if you look and if you read between the lines, they are like what nineteen billion in debt. So like I like I was saying to I was out with friends for coffee a couple of nights ago when we were speaking about this, one of them mentioned that they were nineteen billion in debt. And like I said to them, it's just numbers on a computer. You know what I mean? At this stage, who cares? <laughs> Yeah, I mean? I, right, kind of, yeah. Uh, because at, at any point, if they just, like, stop producing stuff, stop, yep. like, ju just turned off the faucet going out and just let all that subscription money build up for six months, 
I mean, they're, they're way in the red again, you know, or get way yeah, in the black I, again. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's weird because you, you're in a position where we're in a day and age now where having members or subscribers is more valuable than the money you make. Do you know what I mean? Because right. Twitter, Twitter itself as a mechanism is, you know, is is in the red. But look at the platform and the amount of users it has. Uh, you look at something like Uber. If you, you actually do a bit of deep diving into Uber, Uber, you know, uh, its finances aren't actually all that great as well. But what they have in terms of a subscription feed, the, the business intelligence they create from their users is invaluable for them to sell on. So you get to a certain point where Netflix is kind of the same. It's like we have, for the time being, and probably not for much longer, the market share worldwide of of people using streaming services. And yeah, you could you could tell us that we need to close the doors and pay back the nineteen billion that we don't have. Or you can keep investing in us because we have our, a global reach to X amount of people. Um, and it's weird. That's the world we live in now. <laughs> like where, where the numbers of people interested or subscribed to something is more valuable than the money you make. The so. the uh, like economy, the meme economy, is that it where is. we are? Yeah, That's where we are. That's where we are. Um, I feel like at the end of our movie chat, every single week we should have one of these existential sort of questions about about the future of media <laughs> but that's where we are now it'll be interesting to see where we are in five years time i yeah i agree and listeners you can of course write any uh philosophical questions to us <laughs> at uh, bow at legionpodcasts.com uh make sure the subject line is duncan and Bo get deep <laughs> And we will uh, address any, really any uh, philosophy. I'm, uh, you know, uh, more interested in uh, Nietzschean and uh, existentialist philosophy. But mm-hmm. I think uh, I think both of us will will be willing to go classical. We'll uh, yeah. Aristotelian yeah, yeah. and and Platonic. I think is fine. I, I subscribe to Jungian theory of of streaming services. So yes, yeah, so that. But- that we all just dip into the great streaming service that exists under mm-hmm. the in the subconscious of us all. That yep. that as we're watching uh, the Great British Baking Show, it is it is only because we have allowed ourselves to access that from the universal pool of British baking shows. Yes, and why am I watching South Park again for the seventeenth day? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought I could be watching the Haunting the Hill House. Why am I watching so Oh Park? man, you really need to watch that. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm doing it through spite now. <laughs> uh, the only person you're hurting's you. I know. It's just so long as you know that. I mean, you're. It, it's a real cutting off your nose to spite your face sort of situation. <laughs> uh, although I have to say, uh, I did finally watch one of those great uh, British baking shows to see what all the fuss was about. And yep. uh, and it was it's delightful. A of, but it was a bunch of British people baking things. It, it uh, is uh, an old woman and an old man walk around telling them that they're doing it right or wrong. Yeah, but it's it's kind of charming and and really pleasant. Like yeah, that, I mean, the, they, the whole show they is they very do pleasant. really well in the UK still. I don't even know what season they're on, but my wife watches them religiously, and um, yeah, they're still 
it makes the national newspapers over here who wins that competition. And there aren't many TV shows that do that over here. Uh, and it's, you know, it's it been, I think you guys secretly just want to be under English rule again. I really do. The meta, the meta, you know what we haven't spoken about? We should probably do it right before we start speaking of things that might terrify us. Yes. Um, that BBC, that upcoming BBC adaptation of A Christmas Carol, standing, uh, starring Andy Serkis, Guy Pearce, and Tom Hardy. That sounds great. Uh, yeah, and they're going for the more, shall we say, dark horror tones of the novel. Well, you all right. I know about this, I can tell. <laughs> no, no, I haven't heard anything about this, and that sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, 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 I think it's a mini series. I think it's like two episodes. Um, that I could be doing it, but it looks like a shitload of money's been thrown at it. So, um, and yeah, imagine Andy Serkis is playing. I think Guy Pierce is playing Ebenezer Scrooge. Sure, yeah. I have no idea who Tom Hardy is playing, but I'm, I imagine that Andy Serkis is playing every horrible nightmare. <laughs> like, I could, I could see Tom Hardy as a Bob Cratchit. Maybe, yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. A lovable rap scallion that is Bob Cratchit, played by Tom Hardy, hard man Tom Hardy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving you wage words. I'm gonna cut you up, you can't. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I can see that. Is there uh, a problem yeah. with me getting more cold, Governor? It's <laughs> a little bit of Dick Van Dyke in there. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, Mary Poppins, shot your shoes for a shilling. <laughs> Clean your chimney, governor. <laughs> so yeah, that is coming in December. So I think we're like about a week or so away. Well, sorry, two weeks away from it. Yeah, coming out, but it looks real fucking good. So yeah, and part of it is probably that I've been blinders on trying not to think about Christmas until after Thanksgiving is done with. I think that's an affront to God and man that we got to. Like they, At least you've got that buffer, man. Over here, it's like it, like before Halloween, before the, the last embers of the fucking candle inside the pumpkin have went out, people are already on to Christmas in the UK. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, no, same here. Just because, uh, just because Thanksgiving is in between doesn't mean, like, Thanksgiving is not a decorate your shit kind of holiday. Yeah. So... It's all Christmas decorations and whatnot now. And it's just like, man, let's, can we just agree to keep all that in December? Just December <laughs> 1st, everybody can go fucking nuts. A day, day after Thanksgiving, I'll even grant you. We can go that early. But mm -hmm. let's just not do it before Thanksgiving. Don't we all have enough pressure? Aren't yes. we all just trying to get through the day? Amen. Uh, Aren't you just, you're just working, your boss is on your back, you got deadlines, and the people that you work with are assholes and idiots, and all you want to do is just play Fallout New Vegas for the fourth time? Is that uh -huh. too specific? No. Hallelujah, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Uh, Praise Jesus. So, speaking of praising Jesus, Duncan. <laughs> let's talk about something sacrilegious. <laughs> yeah, let's turn our attention to the, the, the real business at hand tonight. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about a TV show which, after the third episode, I was like that. Yeah, this isn't this isn't really doing much for me. And at the end of the fourth episode, I was like, bow, bow, bow. 
yeah, there th- that third episode is like, okay, I guess we're just delivering a lot of exposition and whatnot. Yeah. And then the fourth episode does have some pretty rocket. Oh moments. yeah, the fourth episode is like, I have arrived. Welcome to the terror. Yeah. And I'm like, yes, every every episode needs to have all of this all the time now. Like, no foot off the pedal. Um if this is the direction the show is going post episode four. You have my undivided attention. Like, yes, go bonkers, go crazy, go creepy, go over the top. We just have to get through episode three first. Right. Which is entitled Gammon. It is uh, directed Excuse by me? <laughs> uh, a Gazudite. <laughs> it is directed by Michael Lehman, director of Heather's. Oh wow! And really, and Hudson Hawk. <laughs> you could be singing on a star. Uh huh. <laughs> Would you like this? Yeah. I don't mind Hudson Hawk. I know it gets a lot of shit. I don't mind Hudson Hawk. I think that was the last movie Bruce Willis actually smiled properly in. But yeah, it seemed yeah. like he having a he was having a good time. Yeah, every other movie since said it's been a cynical smile, but like in that one, it was pure joy. He didn't know it was going to fall apart so quickly. And Richard E. Grant's amazing in that fucking movie. So, all right, now look, well, I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong for liking Hudson Hawk. Um, I'm going to say that that's a future commentary for Duncan and Bullcom. Correct. I'm I'm down for it. We'll time oh. it. You know, we'll. Uh, We'll sing our way to proper timing. <laughs> um, I thought that was clever. I think that's that's a, a good I idea. Like oh, yeah, that. Um, it, this episode is written by Shannon Goss, who is uh, mostly a television writer. is uh, is written for shows like Revenge and Outlander and uh, oh, ER, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, kind of a professional team that we got going on with. Uh, episode three and so we're we start off in a the movie theater uh set up in this camp Mm -hmm. and they're watching a john wayne movie it's kind of a cool opening where it's uh, the john wayne movie is playing it's like an old you know 30s era john wayne movie uh still in black and white when everything everybody looks like they're wearing way too much stage makeup and the, it is being translated in real time by a guy in the room. Who's <laughs> doing all the voices, which is the best thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there's like a woman beside him who's doing some of the sound effects and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Because there's no sound on the film. So they're providing all of that. And um, Chester, as he's watching the movie, has this vision of uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Nakayama getting shot up. Mm-hmm. Um and and the old man is, is telling him like, "Go, Chester, you have to get out of here. The fuck are you doing? Why are you still here? <laughs> now I now I got to come back in John Wayne form." <laughs> well, I don't know, fix your little wagon. That's a terrible John Wayne. <laughs> well, all right, you gotta get out of town. <laughs> See, that was a good John Wayne. Things sounded like John Wayne had like dementia or something. He was a bit senile and didn't really know where he was. Also, he wasn't sure what part of the world he was from, and that's why his accent was a bit muddled. It's like when he when he played Genghis Khan. 
Well, I'll fix your wall. Um, so that's a that's a, a joke about Genghis Khan and the Great Wall of China, ladies and gents. That's right, deep dive, deep dive. Uh, but yeah, like what, what I love about this scene is the, the fact that uh, you, you have not only oh, the movie playing and all the rest and, and the entertainment that they're doing here, but the fact that you know it leans very much into their culture, like the idea of their kind of their stage plays that they would do for entertainment and be doing it for centuries, where the men would pretty much play all the characters anyway, male or female. Uh, very, very, very Shakespearean that way. Um, and they, they just kind of lean into that and they just go with it. And it's just, it's just kind of, you know, they're trying to be, have a degree of normalcy, you know, and, and they're you know, restrained settings, and then you get this warning once again from this old man. Basically, you know, you are cursed, Chester. You, you're the unluckiest person on the planet. Get the fuck out of here. And Chester's like, hmm, you know what? I think I should stay. <laughs> I think he's, I, I hear what he's saying, but I'm going to stay. Yeah, right. Well, he does bail out of the tent for a, uh, for a while, and then we, we catch up. <laughs> goes for a pee right for <laughs> in the latrine um anyway so <laughs> it's just a fun word to say it's just a fun word to say duncan don't judge me and then uh he catches up with Luz, um and we we find out that this is may of 1942 so we we're uh, a few months into all of this and there's a big guard tower now with a big searchlight on it and whatnot and they we we see them kind of filing out after the movie's over and Luz and Chester are staying in different places like she has a different cabin and whatnot and by cabin that makes it sound rustic and fun and that's mm-hmm. not the case this is basically a big uh like a barracks essentially that they would use in the military only that's where all these families are forced to stay and we kind of follow Chester and and uh, the rest of the Nakayamas into their home, which is kind of divided. Like, they divide the barracks by hanging up rope and tossing sheets over it to kind of create a fake wall, essentially. Mm-hmm. Bill, dope, wall. Bill, sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's just a real shitty environment. for it. Like, it's one of those things that if they did it to you and your family, you'd be horrified. Oh, God, yeah. Like, the, like once again, love the fact that the show is like, look at this, America. Yeah, I mean, this is, it's a shameful chapter in our history. No no question about it. And, and we kind of leave this scene with the guard tower light continuing to circle and flash in the window and sort of getting Chester's eyes. Hmm. And then, uh, we, we find lose, uh, getting some shit. Like all she's in the women's cabin or women's barracks. And all the girls there just being real shitty to her and talking to her in Japanese and calling her a whore and whatnot. And it's not nice. No. And also in all of this, like as we've cut between, Luz and uh, Chester, there's been this consistent strain of a baby crying mm-hmm. throughout. And then finally, uh, we fade out on that and we go uh, to Chester the next day. He is just hanging out in the uh, the camp, taking pictures of birds and kids playing. And 
Then he hears a weird sound and takes a picture of some people walking behind him. And basically, he is trying to do amateur ghost photography. Because Chester, like as we'll see over the next couple of episodes, is starting to suspect that maybe all this spirit stuff isn't total shit. Yeah, maybe he's becoming a believer now. <laughs> you know, after <laughs> like a string of what can only be des- described as horrific events that have surrounded him. Yeah, and, you know, Miss Yoshida in particular is real quick to be like, that Chester motherfucker is cursed as shit. And I <laughs> I wish he would leave. Yeah. He needs to go. Yeah. No. But, I mean, considering that Mr. Yoshida got gunned down on Chester's behalf, sort of, it, no, you're like, they have every right to be like, you know who sucks? Chester. We hate Chester. He sucks hard. And, <laughs> um, but, uh, he is, uh, snapping some pictures and whatnot. And then Luz shows up and he's like, Hey, you, uh, you don't look like you're having such a good time in the barracks. Are those trifling bitches giving you shit over there? And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. And then we see some guys shoot a look at Luz and Chester's real quick to be like, what the fuck are you two looking at? And sh- which is something, D- Duncan, in my life, I have never done. I've <laughs> never, I've never said to someone in, in anger, what are you looking at? Oh, boy, you need to do it. It's great. I just, it, it's just not who I am. <laughs> but. <laughs> well, don't, Bo, don't do it. I, I won't, but it just, it was one of those things of like, you know, oh, that's probably never going to happen to me. And I mean, God willing, unless, you know, we end up in one of those like Mad Max futures where that's just how you greet people. Or but, Scotland. Or Scotland. Yeah. yeah. It's how, what you say to babies when they first emerge <laughs> from the womb. That's what oh. I said to my daughter when she was born. So. <laughs> oh, what are you looking at? You think you're better than me. I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) Shut your trap and get a job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. It's funny because it's true. Um, So, (laughs) So, um, (laughs) anyway, we also see... um, that Yuko is given an eye towards Luz, you know, that, that there, she seems particularly interested in, uh, in Luz, uh, in this scenario. <clears throat> and then we cut over to the Yoshida ladies, uh, Amy and Mrs. Yoshida who are, uh, tending this garden that they're being forced to grow. And, uh, Miss Nakayama shows up, uh, who is our favorite character from the last episode. Mm-hmm. And they're asking her if she's heard from Henry, who, of course, is being detained in North Dakota. And then Luz kind of strolls by and everybody's like, pretends that they don't really see her. <laughs> and well, she's, look, Elvis. Right. Like, it's real shitty. 
and at least Amy, uh, the who is the like younger Yoshida girl who who was born in the states, or if not born in the states, had clearly grown up there, uh, here rather. Um, I don't know where I am anymore, Duncan. Uh, <laughs> what are you? I don't. I don't know if the United States exists at, after today. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been a rough day in in the courts. Uh, so. Um, but Amy is like, you know, I feel bad for her. And they're just like, shut the fuck up, Amy. Like, (laughs) don't get, don't get involved, you know? And, uh, Amy, you got one job, one job. Amy, I don't look, which one of these things is not like the others, Amy. Is it all of us Japanese people? Or her Hispanic ass. For God's sake, Amy, pass the peace. Amy, pass the peace. <laughs> so after they shut Amy down, <laughs> Miss uh, Miss Nakayama is like, "Hey, uh, I didn't think we were going to get anything to grow because the soil is so bad, and and that could be a metaphor." Mm. And but she finds this little pepper growing and she's like, Oh, there's life here after all. And if there's life, there's hope. And so I'm going to bite into this pepper confident that it will be (laughs) delicious and fresh. Yes. Nothing bad will go wrong right now. Yeah. So she bites into this pepper and it's just full of mealworms and shit. And you know, once again, it's just like, this camp has a blood curse. <laughs> oh, peppers, you say you're growing. No, Jason will get you for Right. Uh, <laughs> it is filled with biscotti. <laughs> have, you, have you watched uh, the series yet? I haven't. I'd let, everyone tells me it's amazing, and I really need to watch it. But like, I've heard nothing but praise for it, and they've said it's very much its own entity. Apparently, there's an episode where all the different vampire Hollywood vampires all appear. Yes, this is, and I need, I need, I need to see. I need, I need to watch it. I, I, my plan is over Christmas to binge it all because I've heard nice short episodes, not particularly long, can get through it, and probably a night. So yeah, yeah. We watched the the first season, which was available on Hulu, and uh, it's tremendous. Yeah, I need to, I need to get on it, boy. Need to get on it. There is, um, in fact, a a, a bit about uh, like, oh, you stupid little baby vampire. It's, dude. <laughs> I mean, they do a twist on a new kind of vampire on that show that is one of the best things that's ever happened. <laughs> So, anyway, so uh, back in Terror Infamy, C. Thomas Howell shows up to be casually racist. Um, (laughs) Where he's like, I just came from the set of Transmorphers the day that time stopped. (laughs) And I need a goddamn fence built. The, The land that time shit on. (laughs) <laughs> and I, yeah, I need I need this fence built by all you Japanese sons of bitches. 
And they're like, all right, we're going to build your goddamn fence. And then this new guy shows up from San Francisco. He's like a, a new intern. You know, yeah. Like, by intern, I mean guy being interned at this camp, not like... Yeah, no, as in, like, I'm here for summer job, gap year. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> I wanted to learn more about the wholesale warehousing of human flesh. Um, that just so seemed fun. I spent fun. my summer at this internment camp. Right. You know, like, uh, uh, the the meme of this would be uh, Germany uh, saying, hey, we've learned how to uh, subjugate and house 9 million Jews. And America looking at its Japanese population and saying, hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> so, they're, anyway, they're, they're, this guy who shows up from San Francisco is like, so where are you guys from? And they're like, uh, well, we're, we're from Terminal Island. And this asshole, his name is Ken, even. And Ken's like, oh, so you're from nowhere at all then. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's the... <laughs> It's the kind of like um, it's the way he's played as well. It's that they're ebbing towards kind of how like Asian actors are portrayed. I don't think consciously, but it's, it's very. I found it very funny. The way he laughs is like, "Oh, from nowhere, really?" <laughs> you know, like the, the way they used to like do voiceovers for Bruce Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's like, <laughs> you will not defeat me. <laughs> <laughs> because the, the the insinuation here is Terminal Island is basically, could be any small town in Japan. And he is from San Francisco, the big city. So he's a real American. While these people are not. Both are not. Yeah, and there's a real sense of like, can you believe this shit? Yeah. That he has, and the rest of them who have been at this camp for a couple of months are like, yeah, this is fucked up, brother. Like, well, well welcome to the party. <laughs> Listen here, brother. <laughs> there ain't no peppers going here for the 24-inch pythons. I'm eating into them. There's me worlds. I look over there. What do I see? I see John Wayne on the screen with an Asian man's voice. Can uh, you dig it? Oh, it's pandemonium. They're taking <laughs> away their dignity. All oh, the humanity. <laughs> Where is the ref? As they're stripping away their basic decency. That shouldn't be allowed. I am a real American. Man, that song just might as well be called, like, in parentheses, fascism. Yeah. Like, that's, if they want to reinvent that character for 2019, we're just saying Duncan and Bo's got your back. Mm-hmm. Consultancy fees are cheap over here. And by cheap, I mean dearly expensive. <laughs> Look, I have watched just enough professional wrestling to know that we could do no worse a job. <laughs> I thought you were going to say <laughs> than, than steering say, that ship. I, I have watched just enough professional wrestling to know that it is 100% real, Duncan. <laughs> well, that's true. Oh, so, oh, uh, here's what's happening in this scene, Duncan, though, at the end of this. They're hanging up signs for translators. Yeah. Uh, They're recruiting from within the internment camp to be translators for the military to crack Japanese codes. 
And then we get this vision of Henry and and Osco Nakayama, Chester's parents, dancing in the camp strung with lights. Yes. And then we see that it's a dream that Osco's been having and she wakes up and someone is telling her like Henry is here, he's back. And so they rush out to greet him and it's Henry and Mr. uh Furuya and George oh, wow. Takei. Yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> Guess who's back? <laughs> I'm back, bitches. My. <laughs> Setting course for Rygon 5. <laughs> Don't know why I suddenly became Shatner. Uh, I started to veer off towards Shat Country. Right. It's probably just because Shatner cut him off in every episode. And... <laughs> I've got the coordinates set for Rigel. You just... (laughs) Give me more power, mister. (laughs) I'm going to kill you in your sleep, Captain. (laughs) There's something on the wing. Oh, man. Shatner's so good, man. He's... He's Yes, you're right. No, I, I... I was going to qualify that, and then I decide that would be an asshole thing to do. You were he right. He has a horror Shit. movie out this year. Do you know that? I do. Uh, like Demon something or other. Yeah, and, and like I have a screener of it, and I have not watched it, and I'm questioning my life choices. Above all else, why I have not watched this one. Yeah, I, I think I've got the same screener, um, <laughs> and I haven't watched it either. But anyway, so... The, uh, Chester sees that and is like, I would never help these assholes. And they're like, yeah, the test is real tough anyway, so you, you'd you never make it, Chester, dickhead. And, Which just seems like a challenge. Sure. And, you know, Chester has, uh, you know, been making plans, we learned in the last episodes. Eyes oh, a mover and a shaker, bro. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, with Henry back... There, he, when he shows up, like he's barely able to walk. Um, he's clearly traumatized by his experience as a prisoner in North Dakota. And when like the guard tower lights wash over him, he kind of shrinks from them. And um, Osco gets him back to the uh, their their little area in the barracks, and she tries to take off his shoes, and he just screams. Yeah, and. It turns out he's got pretty serious frostbite. Yeah, nasty, gnarly frostbite. Right, and she's like, I'm going to take it slow. It's going to be fine. And she pulls off his his boots finally. And his feet are all jacked up and frostbitten and whatnot. And then uh, while they're all doing that, like Chester gets... It's one of those, like, I've had all I can stands and I can't stand no more moments. (laughs) Yeah. Where he sneaks out and climbs up this guard tower when nobody's uh, manning it and sees this like ocean of these barracks buildings and all that stuff. And then he just smashes the shit out of the searchlight of just like, I, you know what? For one night, this goddamn light's not going to be shining in the window. (laughs) I get it. I understand that kind of frustration. I've had that sort of rage before, Bo. Sure. Well, I mean, as you pointed out, you're Scottish. Scottish, yeah, it's my default position. It's interesting that he uses an illegal foreign object to do it. Good God Almighty! <laughs> oh, he's picking up the stool. Somebody stop that man before he can get back in the ring. 
That light's got a family. That searchlight has three kids at home. How's he gonna put bread on the table with no light to shine? Where is the ref to stop this violence against lights? You went somewhere between, like, J.R., uh, Jim Ross, to, to kind of Jesse Jackson. I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Duncan. <laughs> so, so the next day, Duncan, in the show that we're talking about. What would that be again? Uh, the Terror Infamy. Infamy, so, so, Infamy. Inf- They've all got Infamy. God damn it. You know how hard it is to edit those out of every show? <laughs> yeah, but the listeners don't know. As I say it about 25,000 times. Right. <laughs> Try to sneak it in under your breath and whatnot. Bo's very good at cutting them out. I'm, yes. I, I, I'm nothing if not uh, blessed with an attention for detail. <laughs> and so Osco is uh, the next day. She's hanging up these like prayer scrolls around the uh, the barracks. And Henry wakes up, and uh, he's like, that is bullshit. Like, that'll protect us from spirits and all. But what we've got to look out for is human evil. Because <laughs> yeah, motherfucking spies up in this bitch. Right, completely convinced. Like, been watching the, like, Fox News in, in prison. <laughs> where it's just like, there's spies everywhere. And... <laughs> Those goddamn damn Chinese... Right, and then so Chester and Lou show up, and he's like, hey, we brought you breakfast, and Lou's here as a nurse, and she's got this bowl of warm water, and she's going to help try to, you know, help with your feet and whatnot, and he immediately is just like, spy! And... (laughs) (laughs) Knocks the water out of her hands. confront a spy <laughs> just yell it at him spy <laughs> he fucking slaps a bowl of water out as well right out of her hand uh-huh. and, he, and, and Chester is like what, what the fuck <laughs> right what the hell was that and, he's, and again he's just like spy Yeah, and and so Chester's like, "Sorry, honey, my dad's crazy now, I guess." <laughs> and so then we we have a scene with Ken, the new dude from San Francisco, trying to make a little time with Amy. Yeah, and they're uh, having lunch or something, I think, in this scene. And um, when Amy is like, "Oh, I'm from Terminal Island," he's like, "Really? I heard that was nice." And you're like, ah, "Ken, you're an asshole." He's and, like, I heard it was nice. <laughs> but 
Right. Oh, Ken. fuck. Yeah. Fuck you, Ken. And so Chester, though, is telling George Takei, like, hey, I'm not so sure when Yoshida died. Um, because, you know, they're they're all catching up to that news that Yoshida died while they were gone. And uh, he's saying, I don't know that he was himself when he died. And, and you know, his little Sulu's ears pick up right away. Right. He's like, oh, you mean Yuri? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm kind of thinking. And But, you know, how would one be here? And he's like, oh, my. Yuri are wherever we go. <laughs> And then uh, Mr. Furuya busts in, old blind-ass Mr. Furuya. Crazy old blind-ass Mr. Furuya. Right, like, where's Toshiro, his kid? And just starts shoving people out of the way in this lunchroom. And finally gets his hand on, on Toshiro, his kid, who's like, Dad, what are you? what's up? And to, uh, Mr. Furuya immediately just starts choking the shit out of Toshiro. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, why are you so fat? Why are you so fat? And <laughs> and he also says, the swallows, they're everywhere. And finally, some soldiers show up and pull him off his child. Yeah, finally. Yeah. I mean, they let it go for a minute. And they, you know, take him away to the stockades or whatever. And then we see uh, Amy and Miss Yoshida... Um, going to see Thomas Howell at his office on, on this base. Um, because Miss Yoshida wants Amy to get a job as a secretary for C. Thomas Howell. And he's like, well, you know, I do need a secretary, but why would I pick you? And is giving him a lot of shit about like being Japanese and being loyal and, you know, just being a dick. Mm-hmm. And th- but he finally is like I could use somebody, but it's kind of clear that he's just got a boner, you know, yeah. where he's just like, well, she's kind of hot for a Japanese, if you know what I mean. Mm. And so she gets a job, and then we find Chester running around after dark, um, you know, after lights out, I guess. So he ain't supposed to be wandering around with all these military police strolling you know, protecting, uh, the, the, uh, camp and whatnot. And he g- makes his way to the cell where Furuya is held and has brought him some homemade sake and is like, it's a good shit is available. Yeah. He's like, Hey, oh, some- ba- bathtub sake. Mm. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Bathtub sake. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we've been, you know, selling this across state lines and <laughs> um, and he's like here's some booze now what the fuck happened with you wanting to choke the shit out of your kid and he says well it wasn't me I felt something inside me it was the one armed man yeah, right the one armed ghost <laughs> with, with the face that's sewed on you may have heard of her it's fucking terrifying <laughs> what are you talking about he's just like you broke character boy you can't break character leave me hanging out there well i i just didn't know where to go <laughs> she's a crazy woman that stitches her face on oh yeah yuko fair enough okay i'm sorry yeah, i was i was linking it back to the infamy infamy they've all got infamy i see you say that once in an episode and it, and it fucks with my head clearly <laughs> you say it twice we might as well end the episode here <laughs> 
<laughs> so, but but yeah. So he's like, so what? You know, you you felt possessed during this time, and Furuya is like, it's with me wherever I go now, which is kind of a creepy thing to say. And then for a second, Chester sees Yoshida in the cell once more, telling Chester like. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> what? Chester, I don't know what it is that you're not picking up here, but GTFO, right? Yeah. Like, what ghost form do I have to appear in that will convince you that we're serious, that you need to leave this camp? And Chester's like, oh, gosh, I guess, I guess these ghosts are trying to tell me something. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> so... As if to put a fine point on that, the next scene is Chester and Walt Yoshida walking around the camp and chit-chatting where he's like, Walt, do you think there are ghosts? And Walt's like, yes, you're haunted as fuck, dude. Like, we all know it. And uh, they get to lose his cabin. And some shitty girl is like, she's not here. She's at the infirmary. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, shit. So they rush over to the doctor. And she it turns out she took a fall. And Luz and and then ultimately Chester demands that the doctor check the baby. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And they're like, no, 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 really test it. So he puts like a snow cone up to her belly and is like, yeah, I hear a heartbeat. Everything's cool. And then Chester is like, hey, what, what happened to you? And she says, well, it was just a stupid accident. I tripped and fell. But clearly, Duncan, the implication is that one of the girls in the cabin may have pushed her or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read between the lines here, like, there's some people being straight up, and I don't want to use this word because it upsets some of our American listeners, but some straight up cunts, like, pushing over a poor pregnant woman here because they think that they are better. But they are not better. They are not better than Luz. No. Uh, Luz, lucky that she's in the character role that she's in in this, and not in the one that she was in in the previous show we talked about, because they'd be right up dead bitches. You know what I'm saying? Oh man, if she just walked into those barracks and found <laughs> one of Yorisa, the... it would be yeah. game fucking over, game set match ball. Finds one of those girls in the back with a guitar and is like, "Play the song." <laughs> <laughs> And then just puts a bullet in the head of everyone. Play the, play the tragic song about the pregnant woman tripped up down the stairs. <laughs> right. Who later <laughs> becomes a spirit of vengeance. Huh. That somehow seems relevant to you, <laughs> you being here right now. Surprisingly apt. I don't know. Do you think she's singing about us? No, 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 no. I'm sure not. Yeah, she just keeps asking for more tequila. I'm <laughs> sure it's all fine. See, the, she does have a gun though. Yeah. That's should she have that gun? See the last season of Duncan and Bo come correct for that. Yeah, the last episode, which is what twenty five minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> I think we spoke about it for like an hour and a half. Well, it was pretty good. Um, oh, it's all, always good, Bo. Always good. However, however, she's been yeah. The implication is she's been uh, there's been some tomfoolery effort here with the, the other Asian ladies and this small pregnant woman. Of course, it's just another, it's another Jenga piece of shit. <laughs> Top of, like, Chester's already 
like tenuous position as you know being stuck in stuck in this this camp with a you know a, a you know a, a non Asian woman who he has you know got pregnant against his family's wishes while at the same time upsetting his father you know like not listening to his mother father of his friend got shot brutally the father of the other friend is now fucking blind and um, his dad's got frostbite at the foot and thinks everyone is a spy you know what I mean? it's like like and he's just not taking the hint here bo the, the hint is like so blatantly obvious now that it might as well be painted everywhere it's get the fuck out chester right what are you still doing here chester Ferduya then is being led out of a cell by a soldier who is walking straight up like a ghost mm-hmm. um, after Chester takes off and leaves him in the middle of the woods. And then Yuko appears and asks, hey, uh, do you remember me now, Ferduya? And he's like, yeah, I do remember you now. And she says, do you remember what you said to me that night? And he's like, oh, fuck. Uh, yeah. I said I remembered you. I don't remember this. I mean, give me a little bit of a break. And she's like, well, let me help you out. You told me. <laughs> you told me I was exquisite. <laughs> Just a little more so than Tom Waits for no reason. Yeah. And... <laughs> Then she says, "There's only one that I, one per- person that I want, really." And then chews the tongue out of Furuya's mouth. Yeah, which is probably the most metal thing that happens in this episode. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's the high mark. I mean, we've been kind of dancing around a lot of kind of. This is not really going where I really want this show to go. And then we get to see that where you give me you give me a payoff. It's not quite as gnarly as I wanted it, but it's kind of cool. It's kind of cool. I see what you're doing. You're keeping me in track. You're giving me tidbits. I understand. You're just keeping me. You're just keeping me slightly interested here. And yeah, as like she's brutal, but once again, what happened though? So there is something we somewhere down the line here. We are going to find out what happened. Why is Chester cursed? Why? Right, and I mean. I have my theory, Duncan. Ooh, boasty. Mole people. Mole people. Look like moles. Taste like people. (laughs) And... (laughs) The body is, of course, discovered the next day where some kids are playing baseball. They hit a ball into the weeds. And the kid uh, chases after. He sees Yuko for a second. And then looks down. And it's like, holy shit! There is a dude what got no tongue right here dead. <laughs> and then Chester and Walt are kind of chit-chatting again and they pass by some guys who are like, "Yeah, I heard that a ghost was seen in the woods." And Walt uh, or Chester tells Walt, "You know what? I think evil may be following me." <laughs> and Walt's like, no fucking shit, dude. <laughs> Collective sound of three three hundred Asian people slapping the top of their forehead. Right. I don't know why I did that, but just 
seemed like somebody was coming to a realization far too late. <laughs> but most <laughs> <Both> people saw. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry. This episode's silly. It's a very silly episode. <laughs> and <laughs> and Walt Walt rightfully is like, yes, you need to get the fuck out of here, but good luck doing that. If you haven't noticed, you're at an internment camp, buddy. Yep. We see the writing on the wall. He's because he has actually seen the writing on the wall of what's going to happen next. He's going to become the thing that. <laughs> on some weird level, had this happened an episode ago, his dad would have been immensely proud of, though. Yeah, not so much these days, but yeah, he he decides, well, I'm going to become a translator. Hmm. And he uh, takes the test, and it's one of those things where like, he doesn't do all that well, uh, like he can't translate some stuff exactly right, and the military guys are like, wow, you kind of suck at this. Are you sure you're even <laughs> Japanese? And he's like, well, it's written weird because like this is here and this is here. And I'm sure you guys noticed the code, but that the reason it was tough to translate is because the author is using a lot of weird sentence co- construction so that the first syllable of every line spells out, you know, this location. But, Go on. Uh, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we saw that. I mean, you, yeah, right? Jeff picked up, didn't you, Jeff? You you picked it up. He's yeah, like, I, I I thought I saw that. <laughs> yeah, weird sentence structure, first letter. Yeah, I was like, it was like a Japanese poem, guys. Remember when I said that? It's <laughs> like furiously tearing the pages that he's not pad that didn't have that on it. Right, can shred it in the background. <laughs> right, and they're they're like, uh, all right, well. Uh, good job on the interview. And then immediately Chester is accepted and is like shipping out in two days. Yeah. And then Luz is like, well, what the fuck, man? I like, yeah. I came, I came <laughs> here because you're here yeah, and now I'm you're only leaving. In here because of you. Right. For a number of reasons, like a bun in the <laughs> oven. Also, I came here to be with you. And then uh, she's like, I want, I just want you to, to stay. And he says, look, you always said you wanted me to have a plan. Isn't that right? And she's like, fuck, yes, yes. He's using, he's using my words against me. This is what I'm supposed to do. And he's trying to reassure her. And he's like, look, I'm going to be a translator. I'm never going to see any combat. Meaning he's 100% going to see combat. Yeah, but as soon as you say that, you are conspiring. Plus, uh, I think he's forgotten. He has a death curse Right. And there's kind of a nice moment where they hear some music playing faintly and he's like, you know, we never dance together. And they have this moment where they do kind of dance and it's kind of nice. And then he's like, well, all right, uh, let me go talk to dad real quick. Yeah, let me go and meet my I'm going to meet my daddy proud. Right. So he goes to find Henry in in uh, the barracks and Henry is getting into some sake. Yeah. And he tells Henry, like, hey, I'm going to be a, a translator. And Henry's like, get the fuck out of here. He's like, spy! <laughs> spy! And <laughs> he's like, dad, here's what's going to happen. Luz is going to move it in. And he's like, no, spy! 
my favorite thing that's ever happened. (laughs) (laughs) And Henry basically tells him, like, hey, like, all that shit I told you about how good the the army was that if we were good people they would see that we were good and everything would be cool that's all bullshit these people are monsters and you're just going to go work for them which makes you a spy <laughs> oh, it doesn't get old either <laughs> the payoff the more it's used is, is, is amazing oh. <laughs> so Chester's like at least I'm doing something and he leaves and so Henry doesn't see him off. Walt is there. The Yoshidas are there. Um, his mom is like being awesome again. And she's like, you know what? We're going to take care of Luz. Don't worry about it. Um, he, Chester gives Luz, speaking of a maternity dress that he had made that he traded his camera for. Mm-hmm. And they kiss and a cold wind blows. And I think you missed out the description ominous cold wind blows <laughs> yes an ominous wind blows and mom uh, uh you know osco comes over to chester and takes a lock of his hair and uh amy's like oh yeah the reason that she did that is because if he dies and there's no body to bury then they can bury or cremate the the hair and at least give him a proper burial and it's a real ominous kind of thing to be doing. And then Chester, you know, gets in the car. He takes off, leaving everybody behind. And then Luz goes to Osco because she's like, hey, I I really want a second opinion on the baby stuff because I'm starting to bleed. And I don't want to go back to this doctor who I had to twist his arm just to give me a checkup practically. Mm-hmm. And Osco is like, oh, I heard that there's this new midwife. Um, and here, let me give you the location. Just go there and uh, and sh- maybe she can help you. So Osco does and finds a midwife there. And uh, as it happens, Duncan, the midwife who appears in this uh, bar- otherwise empty barracks is Yuko. Yep. No good will come of this. No. The attending doctor is Fred Krueger. <laughs> the anesthesiologist is Dr. Giggles. Uh, yeah. Everything's fucked. Yeah. This is not a good a good thing for uh for lose. Um so that is the end of episode three. And like mm. you said, this is kind of the down episode. It's just like, there's a lot of setup. It's like Chester finally coming to the realization that he is being haunted and, and goes, uh, finally figures out a way to get the hell out of camp and Henry comes back and blah, blah, blah. But there's not, other than the scene where like Furuya gets his tongue eaten out, there's not like cool shit happening. Yeah, yeah. Considering the the kind of promise that we have been led to believe this show, specifically the lineage it's kind of following and the legacy of the terror season one. Like like I said, by episode three, I'm expecting some like serious tension things to ramped up. And it doesn't really deliver. It is still kind of, we've had three episodes kind of essentially setting out the pieces on the chessboard 
And episode four is is genuinely where shit starts to take the turn that the show has promised. Granted, we're not even at the halfway mark yet, but yeah, it, like episode three is just it's okay. I mean, it's okay for what it's doing, but I'm still not getting the bang that I want from the show. All right, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. So let's uh, let's dive into the fourth episode here. Mm. Um, so episode four of uh, season two of The Terror, uh, subtitled Infamy, is called The Weaker Meat. <laughs> yeah, you know business is picking up right now. Right. Now we're back to our rocking episode titles. Things are happening. Uh, Michael Lehman, back to direct this episode. Mm-hmm. And is written by Naomi Izuka. Yeah, give her money. Lots and lots of money. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Miss uh, Izuka uh, has written this and for Emerald City and uh, uh, a series called My America. Uh, And that's kind of it, but boy, uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, Mm -hmm. So in this episode, Duncan, um, we begin with Chester in Guadalcanal. Uh, where he is writing a letter, and this is uh, largely kind of an epistolary episode, where it's oh nice, thank you, where it's a lot of letters from Chester to Luz and vice versa. So, uh, in fact, the episodes are uh, the episode is framed uh, with an episode from uh, Chester to Luz at the beginning, and a letter from Luz to Chester at the end. Um, so. He he's telling her like, "Hey, don't sweat it. We're far from the action. Uh, me and this guy Art uh, Arthur are translating uh, stuff. Uh, it's just me and him in a tent. But he's having trouble sleeping, and he keeps having dreams of the enemy closing in on him. And he says, "Look, I just hope that things back home are settling down after everything with you know Yoshida and Furuya and all that business." So yeah, the legacy of misery and destruction that was left in my path after I decided to leave. <laughs> the soul-rending horrors that <laughs> trailed me like the wake of a ship. Um, hopefully that has settled down some now. And um, he's, he tells her, hey, I got a new camera in Australia. And he goes outside to take uh, some pictures. And... He's kind of bought in on all the spiritual stuff because he's like, I know that there's something following me. I know you're out here. Uh, Show yourself. And he's taking pictures of the brush and, you know, trying to get a look at what what he feels is stalking him. Mm -hmm. And then we get a letter from Luz to Chester where she's like, you know, I got to tell you, on the one hand, I'm really proud of you. Like, you're doing uh, the, this very specialized job. You're doing something that very few people can do. Also, it's still kind of fucked up that you left. <laughs> yeah, thanks, but no thanks, but thanks. Right. And she's like, you know, your family's starting to warm up to me some. And everybody seems to be getting along, except for Henry, who is still giving her that <laughs> spy look. <laughs> Even though he's not outright saying it. Yeah, he's just stood it with his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You One glance and you know what's going on behind those eyes. Yeah. Spa! Spa! And, <laughs> and then Chester, uh, we see, looking over some of these pictures that he took. And his translating pal, Arthur, in this tent with him, is talking about this uh, this Admiral Takahashi 
that is sort of the big villain on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, this is the who the military is trying to kind of root out from Guadalcanal. And Chester is like, hey, Arthur, what do you think about Gure or ghosts? And he's like, hey, man, I really don't give a shit. And <laughs> he's like, no, come on. Like, what do you think these Gure want? Don't they? Isn't it a deal where they want something? And he's like, look, I always heard that it, it, they have to satisfy their Onan. It is, you know basically this thing that uh they have to fulfill before they die and they are these single-mindedly obsessed creatures that have to do this one thing um and then a wind whips through the tent (laughs) as if conjured by this revelation right and arthur is like hey man not for nothing are you cursed (laughs) <laughs> and Chester's like, no, I'm not cursed. That's crazy that you would say that, though. Did you leave your internment camp under your own volition, or were you kind of pushed out because they wanted you to go? <laughs> right? Aren't you cursed? Yes or no? <laughs> were you, Were you seeing visions of a dead man screaming at you to leave? Because if the answer is yes, there is a further conversation to be had. Yeah, somewhere down the lane, we're going to have warts. Right, and they also discovered that there's like this claw-like slash in the fabric of the of the tent. And yep. Chester's like, yeah, no wonder we felt that wind. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, <laughs> it's totally normal, totally normal. Yeah, everything's cool. So, speaking of everything not being cool at all, uh, we cut over to Yuko and Luz, and Yuko is playing midwife to Luz, and it's just yeah, rude. the creepiest midwife ever. Right, she's just rubbing like Luz's belly while Luz is talking about Chester being away, and Yuko's like, "It's cool, baby. Like the baby's happy, and that's fine." And uh, Yuko uh, then kind of strolls over to her, I don't know, table o tools. Yeah, Table of Terror is what I named it. I mean, not since Dead Ringers, Duncan. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Nice. Has there been a series of medical instruments that are like, put that down? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's play a game of medical instrument or torture device. Right. And Luz is rightly like, what the fuck are those things? And she's like, oh, these are just things to help get the baby out. It's fine. Don't even worry about it. And then uh, it's like, hey, here's this drum toy that you might recognize from Karate Kid 3. Mm-hmm. And I knew for a fact she was going to do a swan kick at the end of this episode. Yeah, which, of <laughs> course, she swan kicks reality. Um, <laughs> technically, it's a crane kick, so we can avoid those emails. Yeah, I was going to say swallow is what I was aiming for because it would make reference to the swallows in the episode, but then I forgot what it was and I said swan. Uh, but yeah, yeah, let's not upset our listeners who get this episode hours and hours of content for fuck all. Right, and are like, how dare you not know that it was the crane kick, you sons of bitches. Yeah, and FYI, Miyagi didn't catch the fly with the... Chopsticks. No, he did Dan- not. Yeah, yeah. Dinosaur that, and that's commonly misunderstood. No, that is not how that went down at all. That's right, but we've we vindicated ourselves. Yes. Also, Elizabeth Shue. Not a lot of people know this. Started my puberty. I did not know that. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah well, you know, she's very special. And so then Art and Chester are called uh, up by the colonel. 
and they notably pass a dude who has a flamethrower. Like he's just burning shit for no good reason. But yeah. it's important that we establish that there are flamethrowers and that this guy has one. And then they are shown this pit of bodies and say, uh, the, the colonel is like, look, this is where you, your documents come from. The things that you translate come from these front lines, and this is really horrible. But yeah, From this pit of death. Yeah, right. <laughs> from a Lucio, Lucio Fulci-style pit of bodies. <laughs> right from the gates of hell yeah. do I pluck this message for you to translate. Don't even worry about the the white eyes that everyone has. It's totally cool. <laughs> Uh, of the ominous score in the background. Right. What about this mixture of motor oil and cornflakes bubbling up from the floor? <laughs> That's fine. That's just New Orleans. <laughs> so Look at these badly mechanized tarantulas. It's all good, baby. Don't worry about it. Right. What about all these worms just blown at us through, you know, a, a fan boat? <laughs> Filchy was such a cunt, man. It's amazing. It's it's incredible that no one died during the filming of the Beyond, in particular. Oh, um, so but so they're looking for this guy named Sergeant Crittenden. Well, he's a sergeant. That's not his name. His name isn't like Sergeant Sergeant Crittenden. It's. <laughs> I will be a sergeant because my name is Sergeant. Right. So that is my role. I had to turn that the commission to be a general, general <laughs> sergeant, general sergeant Crittenden was never going to fly. Uh, but it, yeah, so he's gone missing, and Art and Chester are brought up to the front lines to help translate the information they get as quickly as they get it, so that hopefully they can find this dude. And Chester is getting some bad vibes from a couple of the soldiers who are like this Japanese son of a bitch. Um, as all racist in on this show uh, do, and uh, Chester is like, "Wait a second, did you check everything?" And then he goes into the body pit. And did did, did, did you check everything? Did you make sure that the Indian burial ground was removed before you built the houses? Did right. you dig up the bodies? You moved just... the headstones. <laughs> I knew you were gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, five minutes away. I mean, that seems fine. I I don't guess anybody would care. Who who would mind that? I don't know. I mean, whoever. Anyway, um, so um, they, they Chester is digging around in this body pit, and he finds a belt that's got a, a message inscribed inside the belt, and he's like, "Yeah, not everything is just going to be written on paper in somebody's pocket, and so we need to double check all this." And the colonel's like, "That's right, we do." Come on out, Chester, my awesome pal. My, yeah, my awesome Asian-Japanese friend. Right. And the rest of you assholes get in the body pit and double-check everything. And so they do, but again, Chester gets a lot of stink eye for this. And then he sends another letter back to Luz that has some flowers in it. And uh, Luz reads this letter to Osco, his mom, which includes a picture of him in uniform. And while... Um, Luz is reading this letter. Osco calls Henry over and is like, Hey, look at this picture of our son. He looks so handsome in his uniform. And he, you know, Henry just looks at this picture and is like, Spa! <laughs> and then, uh, Henry wanders off grumbling to himself some more. 
and then Luz is like, hey, Osco, do you want to feel the baby? The baby's kicking. And so Osco does, and um, she, uh, Lou says, did Chester ever tell you what happened with my mother, who, as we know, died during childbirth? Yeah. And Osco says, you know what? He did tell me about that, but just focus on good things. Don't worry about that. Everything's going to be fine. And then Lou says, well, what was it like when you had Chester? And Osco's like, but nothing. I mean, it was fine. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> is that Elvis? Yeah. Because, Duncan, this is further evidence that Yuko is the mother. Ah. I, I believe this more than I did the last episode. So, and, and I'll get to my theory for this in a few. So, then we see this uh, MP, like a military police, on duty at night doing his rounds. And he's going through the barracks where we've seen Yuko before, stitching up her face and whatnot. And he finds her looking in the mirror, brushing her wig. And then she looks over at him and, like, she has the all fucked up face that's rotting and whatnot. And then she does the crackly thing that... Where her neck moves around. And then we see the MP clearly possessed by Yuko, which is a thing she can obviously do. Yeah, yeah. And where she marches him across camp, goes, climbs the guard tower. Yeah, holding a bottle of that bathtub sake that we were talking about earlier on. Right. Climbs this guard tower with a bottle of sake, uh, steps over the rail, and just steps off the guard tower to his death. Yeah. And C. Thomas Howell shows up and is like, what in the wide, wide world of sports is going on? (laughs) And... Uh, you know, like a bunch of the the prisoners in the camp are looking on, and C. Thomas Howell finds this broken bottle, and is like, "Who got this man drunk?" And everybody's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, he just committed suicide. That's what happened. And then, mm-hmm. so the next morning, MPs go through everybody's shit, ripping up like mattresses open and all kinds of stuff. And so C. Thomas Howell shows up at the barracks where like the Nakayamas and the Yoshidas and those people are. And he's like, well, if I look around, am I going to find something I don't want, Amy? And she's like, no, 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 everything's fine. And he's like, really? All right, I'll search your uh, bed myself because I'm a total creep. And so he starts hunting around, and sure enough, they find this hidey hole in the floor that's got a bunch of booze. And he's like, well... I guess we have solved our mystery. So, yep. Henry uh, Nakayama, you're going to come with me to the stockade. And this is where uh, Walt Yoshida steps up, the younger Yoshida, Amy's brother, and is like, no, 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 no. He just drank it. I was the one who made it. Mm-hmm. And they're like, fine. C. Thomas Howell says, one's just as good as another. So, you're going to go to the stockade instead. And- it's not his finest moment, Bo. Uh, for no one in this room, is it the best no. thing that's happened to them? <laughs> no. And so, uh, Yuko and Luz are then talking, um, after all this business goes down about how Henry doesn't like her. And Yuko is like, oh, Henry's just a sad man. Don't worry about it. And then Yuko says, hey, I've got great news. You're going to have twins. Mm. And... Luz uh, then goes to Osco and tells her about it. 
Big yeah. sight and happy news about the fact that she's going to have two grandkids. Isn't this a joyous time, Bo? Right, and it's like she just took a big shit in the middle of the room. Because <laughs> Osco immediately stands up and is like, oh, nothing, just going to bless everything one more time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let me just get this incense out and burn it here. I'm just going to put just gonna put like a ring of salt around your bed for no reason at all. You know, everyone likes salt around their bed. Right, I'm Max von Sydow, I, I'm sure you've met him before. He's going to be here just in case. You never uh, know. You never know. And then uh, Toshihiro just strolls through and is like, oh, hey, aren't twins real fucking bad luck? <laughs> yeah, like, it's me on the twins. Right, and everybody's like, oh, Toshihiro, you son of a bitch. And Luz, uh, it, it's a nice moment for her where she stands up and she's like, no one is going to treat my children like they're walking around cursed. Just get used to the fact that these twins are going to be coming. They're going to be great. And everyone's going to love them. Yep. And everyone's like, yeah, totally. It's going to be fine. There's not cursed at all. <laughs> and then we get another letter from Chester where he's writing Luz and telling her like, Hey, I'm still not sleeping. And while he is, you know, writing this letter, he sees Yuko, across the table from him mm. but it it's just art telling him like he, he kind of wakes up and it's art and he's like hey man what's wrong with you you haven't, you haven't been sleeping again and you're nodding off and chester's like oh, i got it i got it all right it's cool let me get back to my translating job and it's like <laughs> so um i've been and he's reading this translated note and the note is like so I've been looking at these two dudes in a tent. They haven't seen me at all. I could sneak <laughs> up on them and just kill them. And they never notice because of how uh, focused they are on their work. And Chester looks up and he's like, Oh my God, Arthur. And as soon as he says that, like a sword comes through his chest and he's like, Egh. and then he wakes up. It turns out that was a dream too. The old double dream fake, bro. the old double dream fake. And, but when he wakes up, he's like, by Jove, I've got it. I know where this Sergeant Crittenden chap is. I've somehow woken up with a Cockney accent. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, the Spanish war it is. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. So, um, Luz then goes to Henry, go, finds him in the barracks. And she reads a note that has been written for her in Japanese so she can get it all right. And it's a note where she's like, hey, I'm about to have these children. You're about to be a grandfather. Um, I just want you to know that they will always respect you so that when you go, when you finally pass on and go to heaven, you can rest assured that we will be keeping your memory, you know, in, in reverence for time eternal, blah, blah, blah. And also, I would really like to name the boy, if there is one, Enrique, which is a Spanish version of your name. But if you don't like that name, let me know, and I will be happy to change it, because dear God, will you just love me and and not be such a weirdo around me, because no matter what, I'm about to have your son's children. And... There, again, this is a really nice moment because after she reads this note, she turns around because Henry just doesn't say anything through all of this. She turns around to leave and Henry says, Enrique is a really good name. Don't change it. <laughs> goes, I really like it. Stands up and goes, 
Spy? <laughs> right. Not spy. <laughs> not spy. Those are the two classifications for people for him. It's just spy or not spy. <laughs> not spy. <sighs> and we think, you know, things are finally starting to turn around for Liz. Yeah, things are really going well. Uh, in fact, we get another good piece of news because when we go back to Guadalcanal, Crittenden has been found. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, this is great. We found him just where Chester said at this cave that he read a translation about. Yeah, and he's back and he's fine, not mentally, emotionally, or physically scarred at all. Well, <laughs> he's back, Duncan. Um, Yeah, he's talking in Japanese and uh, like Chester is basically doing exorcism foreplay with this guy. <laughs> Where he's just like, tell me your name. Are you a Yure? What's going on with you? And and the guy's just like, ah, the uh, white people kill white, the, kill the white devil. And he's like, your sergeant sucks cocks in hell. Yeah, kind of right. You know, <laughs> well, if you're so powerful, just get away from these men. Oh, such a d- vulgar display, Chester. Um, do that. Do that again in time. And then he starts repeating this line over and over again. And Chester says what he translates, what he's saying, which is the weak are meat. The strong will eat. Yeah, it's pretty good. So then, oh man, we're we're like, there's 50 minutes left in this episode and some crazy shit is about to go down. Yeah. Shit's about to get real. So Oscar, and Henry suddenly are bringing Luz to the doctor, the doctor what didn't want to do the exam earlier, because something, it, like, the babies are coming. Yep. And the doctor is like, what's going on? And they're like, she's having twins. And he's like, twins? I don't want any part of that. <laughs> Yikes. Right. <laughs> and... Then there's a nurse there who goes for some linens, and in the linen closet, Yuko is waiting for her and possesses her. So the nurse is all <laughs> now. Yeah. And but the, but as the nurse lose or not lose, but Yuko isn't like out to get lose. No, or, but not not by all accounts. And so there's a lot of screaming. Lose is trying to get the babies out. The Yuko nurse is helping the doctor is you know telling her to push henry and osco have been let out of the room this is happening the Mm -hmm. first baby comes out and he's like it's a boy but there's no crying and the nurse is like what's wrong what's wrong and and you see the yuko possessed nurse take the baby over uh to like a, a counter and is performing like baby cpr yeah and you don't ever see the children but so she eventually abandons that because the other baby's coming and this baby seems dead. So yeah. the other baby comes. Sure enough, that baby is dead too. And the Yuko possessed nurse is very, very, very quickly saying to the doctor, "What the? What have you done? Why didn't you try and save them? Why did you kill them? You're f- firmly putting the blame directly on the doctor's shoulders." Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
And he's just like, I don't know what you're, I mean, there was nothing I could do. And he says something about the umbilical cord, which kind of implies that maybe the umbilical cord was wrapped around the neck of one of the the babies or something, but it's never really stated. But then there's this like creepy look that Yuko gives Luz as she's huddled over the, the dead baby on the counter. And then we cut to Chester reading a letter from Luz that she sent just before the birth. Yeah. So she's telling him like, I can't wait till you hear that uh, we're going to have twins and that people, um, uh, are, you know, like your father's finally accepting me now. And as he's reading this letter, that's nothing but good news. We're seeing like his family as well as the Yoshidas and everybody coming through and paying their respects to Luz, who is in bed, just devastated. Yeah, she like she completely shut down. Yeah, and then Chester is outside the tent. He's all smiles because he's getting all this good news, and then this wind kicks up. An ominous wind comes. Because uh, Chester can't be happy, Bo. This show not love it. No, no, I mean this is about to get raw. So, yeah. Crittenden, uh, General Sergeant Crittenden, shows up with a bunch of the soldiers that we saw earlier, who were all pissed up, off about having to go into the body pit. They show up to just start beating the shit out of Chester. And while they're beating the shit out of Chester, <laughs> Crittenden excuses himself from the dog pile and is like, "I'll be right back." And he gets the flamethrower that we saw earlier and just turns it on all of them. Just this pile of soldiers beating up Chester and burns it down. Yeah, burns the whole thing. That burns the white devil down. Yes. And so, miraculously, they finally, uh, soldiers show up and stop Crittenden, pull him, you know, the flamethrower off of him. The colonel shows up and is like, the fuck just happened and like there's a pile of just burned corpses miraculously chester has been saved because there were bodies laying on top of him from where they were beating the shit out of him which i guess is the consolation of dealing with a racist attack Mm -hmm. but the colonel gets him up and and uh chester immediately goes to crittenden is like tell me who you are why are you doing this to me and he says i serve i serve and you know, it's this dramatic moment where uh, Chester is like, who, who do you serve? <laughs> and he says, Takahashi. And it's like, oh, this guy's just been brainwashed. Yeah. By it. There's nothing supernatural afoot here. Theoretically, it is just he has been fucked in the head by this dude and has become, yeah. you know, just broken. Like he got tortured and broken. And. Then we go back to the camp where Luz has, uh, says that someone needs to go find Yuko, her midwife, to tell her what's happened. And we're interrupting, by the way, a conversation once more about how Chester is fucking bad luck. Yeah. Where, uh, in this case, it's like, you know, Miss Yoshida and Walt and, like, even Asuka is like, no, 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 he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine, bro. There's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. And right, right. It's all just nonsense. And so, um, Osco says, look, I will go, uh, find this midwife for you, but I'm telling you the, where you're telling me that I'm going to find her, there ain't nobody there. Like that's not, those aren't barracks used for residences. That's all storage. 
And but she, Osco, good, good as her word, goes to the the barracks to find this Yuko who she doesn't know, and she finds only a lit lantern <laughs> and part of a scalp and hair coming from it. Yeah, well, she lifts up at first and then goes, Ugh! right when she realizes <laughs> what the fuck it is. <laughs> and, and meanwhile, <laughs> this is the best fucking thing ever. Oh yeah, meanwhile, yeah, out on the streets, for what, 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 everyone's having a party. Maybe? Yeah, it's just like a block party. Um, but it, it reminds me of the Halloween celebration from Trick or Treat. Only, oh, yeah. you know, they're but some of the people are actually kind of in costume. Yeah, Notably, it's not Sam this time with a sack over his head. It's Yuko with a no mask on. Yes, and it's kind of that cherubic, big smiling face. It's really unsettling. Yeah, it's completely unsettling. <laughs> and we see Yuko. Uh, we presume it's Yuko. Yeah, we do see her. Never mind. It is Yuko. Yuko then goes to the doctor or to the infirmary where she passes by Luz in her bed and goes to the doctor. And the doctor's like, hey, we're closed. Hey, what are you doing here? Get out of here. We're close. Come back tomorrow if you got a problem. And then uh, he gets all. <laughs> and well, <laughs> she takes off the fucking mask and we see her true form, which is this gnarly fucking blackened, like, skeletal demon. Um, yeah. And he's like, oh. <laughs> and he turns around and then all the cracky cracky crack snappy snappy twisty snappy contorted bony thing happens and then uh, the show delivers Bo yes after she calls him a murderer and inhabits his body she then takes a scalpel and runs it across his gut yep uh, opening him up it, there's not like day of the dead intestinal spillage here but there's a healthy amount of blood Oh yeah, this is a very much a uh, Hannibal Lecter bills in or bills out moment. Yes, and as the uh, blood flows, it pools around the mask that has been left behind, and we end episode four. So, yeah. we we are uh, three fifths of the way through the season. Mm-hmm. Um, I will very briefly say I believe what is happening here is that Yuko is a woman who was uh, uh, sexually assaulted oh, and had a child, and that child is Chester. And that for one reason or another, that child has ended up in the care of Henry and Osco. Um, I think that she perhaps died in childbirth as well, which would yep. tie her story to lose and would also explain why she was so uh, sort of you know, a champion for lose in the, in the hospital. Uh, mm -hmm. so that is my current theory of what is going on in, uh, in the terror infirmary. Um, I have no theories at the moment. I will say though, that at the end of episode four, like I said, at the start of this episode here, when episode four finished, I was like, yep, you've now built up enough steam, enough momentum and enough goodwill for me to, happily continue on right to the end of this series yeah i needed this episode i needed to ramp up in the way it did and uh yeah it was a, this one in particular was a very satisfying watch yes it was very cool 
Um, I, I like it. Uh, I, I like particularly episode four, but I don't know. The, I think the third one is a little bit of a down note, but not so much. Like if I were grading them, it would be like, and eh, you know, uh, three is like a B minus and four was like a solid A. Yeah, I, I think what what is doing, and I think rightly what is what it was doing in the first three episodes, and we've noted this before, is it really is just setting the pieces out. It's it's getting things in a position. It's unlike the first season of the Terror, we are jumping like there are scenes that are just months and months apart, um, and we're doing that to kind of escalate the timeline here to get things in the position. Um, the reveal of kind of Yuko's true form in this episode was bitching. But yeah, I mean, even I, I, I don't know. I think because we're doing them two episodes at a time, when I come like episode three, had these episodes been reversed in terms of their pace and purpose, I just felt like I had to wade through a lot of episode three to get to the glory that was episode four. I'm kind of now thinking now that we've got over that, we've, we've put some some babies to rest so to speak and we're now moving ahead with what the next stage of Yuko's terror or revenge will be that's the the stuff that I'm really looking forward to doing we, we've opened it up now very much like that doctor's stomach and uh, all, all bets are off I don't know where we're going but I'm looking forward to it yeah I agree I think it's going to be uh, a lot of fun and uh, and we will continue to have fun uh goofing a little bit on the the show as we go um folks if you would like to hear more uh duncan where can people find more out of you your your silky smooth tones your dulcet scottish voice <laughs> dulcet is not a compliment um or maybe it's in america i don't know uh you can check me out on the podcast under the stairs it can be listened to on all the places that you listen to podcasts you can visit our website, it's tputzcast.com, or come to our Facebook group page, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tputzcast. Spa! <laughs> um, you, can, you can find uh, this show and more at legionpodcasts.com. Uh, and, you know, obviously we appreciate if you subscribe, and if you are subscribed, if you leave us a review. And if you've left us a review, then quite frankly, your work is done. You can listen to this show with a clear conscience. If you haven't done those other two things, well, then, you know, what the fuck, man? Come on. Yeah, it's like I said earlier on, you know, me and Bo can get billions in debt as long as enough people like the show. That's right. And I have been kind of operating under that assumption (laughs) for some time. And I got a lot of people making a lot of phone calls now. Yeah, that's why Bo is currently podcasting from his luxury yacht. (laughs) That's why. I have a lot of prepper magazines now. <laughs> Here's the problem with prepper magazines is that they want you to give them a, an address to send the magazine to. Yeah. I don't trust it. No. No. no it, seems, it seems like there might be a flaw in that design. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's like uh, when, when you try to have meetings of introverts. Yeah. <laughs> no one's showing up. No. Not a one. You know, and what, like, God, God forbid two people show up and then yeah. just sit there awkwardly in silence as one person is like, I, I brought chips. It's like a meeting of agrophobics in a park, you know? 
Right. Oh, oh, dead. <laughs> why why do I always think of the movie Copycat when I think of agoraphobes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I am not living right. <laughs> All right, Duncan, that's enough out of us. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll see you in a week with episodes five and six of uh, The Terror Infamy. Until then, say goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight, Duncan. Goodnight. Spy. Spy. Thank mm-hmm. you.